We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Big Blue Banter podcast. Here with myself, my co-host, Nick Turchin. Once again, coming off another victory for the Giants. Really, they should have won four in a row after the bye week as far as I'm concerned. They should have beat the Philadelphia Eagles. We all know that. But, you know, it was another win against the Bears where they fought back, gritty game. A lot of things did not go the Giants' way, and then they still pulled the game out. And that was really the opposite, what you can say, about the first half of their season. So you're starting to see some growth. You're starting to see some of these back-end roster players that Dave Gettleman, the general manager, made moves on make contributions on this team. And again, we know the Bears were playing without their starting quarterback, but you know what? Mitchell Trubisky, I've watched him play all year. He's he's made a lot of mistakes and he's made a lot of turnovers. So I'm not just going to go out there and say the Bears were a lock to win this game if Trubisky was in the game. The Giants played well at times. They had big plays on the offensive side of the ball. They had big plays on the defensive side of the ball. And that's kind of what we're starting to learn. Uh, James Betcher's defense wants to be a big play defense. Um, and obviously he doesn't have all the pieces just yet. But in the end, it was a victory for the Giants, and I know obviously it hurts their draft position. But at this point, I think you're 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 fine. The trade off of having a team that is not in you know a, a bad culture team in the sense of they're not losing every game, they're not getting used to losing like you see with some of these teams like the Jets, and you start to hear it from guys like Jamal Adams. And the trade off for winning games, I think, is more important than uh, than than the draft pick, as long as there's not a quarterback who they miss out on. And that's obviously to, remains to be seen. But on that note, before we dive into it all, uh, I want to send it over to Nick. How are you doing today, Nick? Doing good, doing good. Ready to get in here. A little, uh, a lot of all twenty-two binging and uh, ready to talk about it. Psyched to talk about it. Yeah, me too. This was an exciting game for me to rewatch on all twenty-two. I really enjoyed it. I really saw, felt like I saw a lot of things clearly, more clearer than other games. Um, and I'm going to start off by by uh, diving into this All-22 review of the game. And I'm going to start off actually with 
a, a negative note because you know what? It's just something that I, that really stood out to me in this game, Nick, and we'll talk about it. But I did think that this was Eli Manning's worst game of the season, and I thought it was quite evident because this was also, in my opinion, the best game of the season to me by far by the Giants' offensive line. And now, of course, what I'm doing there is factoring in the opponent, the Bears' defensive front, Akeem Hicks, Leonard Floyd, Khalil Mack, Vic Fangio, great defensive coordinator. And factoring in all those things, the offensive line really played well. In the first half, the Giants' offense did not move the ball really until that final drive where they got the field goal uh, to cut the lead to 14-10. But to me, the issue was not the pass production. The issue was not the play calling. To me, the issue was Eli Manning. There were multiple third downs uh, and early downs, first downs, first and 10, where basically in the first half, Pat Shermer used a lot of play action on first down and threw a lot of passes. And there were times where Eli Manning had unbelievably clean pockets, in my opinion, just nowhere in sight, no pressure in sight, and just missed throws. Either he was off balance and he threw short or just missed them. Um, he locked on to Odell Beckham Jr. It was clear cut to me that the plan after the Eagles game where he didn't get enough targets and he didn't get enough involvement was to get the ball to OBJ. I do think OBJ ran two bad routes. The interception I thought was a bad route. I thought the play before that was even worse, or the drive before that on third and six, where Eli Manning, I thought, read it pretty well, got the ball out there and was incomplete path where the cornerback broke on it. I thought that was a really bad route altogether by OBJ. But I thought that Eli Manning, honestly, was just off target and with clean pockets in the first half. What did you, I mean, he did settle down a bit in the second half, but there were still some concerning signs that I'm going to get into a little bit later. But before I go on any further than that, am I off base here or, or Nick or, you know, did Eli have honestly maybe his worst game of the season, all things considered? Yeah. <sighs> Sorry as I groan. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to. I know I, that. I don't want to, I don't want to bash, but yeah, I, I I'm, if, I, if it's not the worst game of the season, I'm close. I'm in this. I'm in the same realm of bottom three games, um, and it, I, for me, I think it it, dug, it it's it talked to one point that we've spoken on this podcast before, and that is when defensive coordinators and specifically secondaries do things at the snap and just after the snap to change the picture for what Manning was reading pre-snap, and that was done with really awesome success for the first two quarters. Um, and so basically what I'm saying is the safeties were moving around. There were split field coverages. If you read one side, it was different than the other side. Um, and I think Manning was confused and, and kind of resorted to it's not check downs. I think, I think he wanted to hit OBJ up because that was kind of the, the almost a safety valve for him that no matter what he, that he was going to have a shot to, to make a play on ball on the ball. Uh, but you don't really see a functioning offense. till just to like what Dan says until <laughs> Barkley runs power. And then they kick a field goal and they come back after halftime. And I think that they kind of simplified things a bit and, um, and were able, and was able to, and he were, the whole team was able to run on the lean on the running game uh, versus the, this front, which is like beyond epic to do. And it wasn't from like easy runs. It was from hard nose, North South running like good blocks, but not unbelievable blocks. It was very gritty, but they did what they had to do. It reminded me a lot of, the, this is going to be random, but it reminded me a lot of the Minnesota Vikings game against the um, the Baltimore Ravens last year, where Shermer had a similar type setup where his quarterback wasn't really in the, he wasn't really feeling it, and he had to kind of just just chip away at, a, at an offense to to get a drive established, and only established a couple drives that game and managed to win the game though. Um, so very very similar in my mind, but uh, great to get the gritty win. But it was just it was kind of ugly going going forward. And we'll definitely dive into the good when it comes to the offensive side of the ball because I did see a lot of that, and you just really gave a preview of a lot of that. It's going to focus a lot on the things I really like from Pat Shermer, the Giants head coach and play caller in the second half, and then from 
the run blocking. We already touched a little bit on the offensive line and Barkley. But before we wrap it up, what I was seeing with Eli, and it did kind of carry over at times the second half, the third and goal, pass to Simonson. Again, when the play breaks down and the re- what he wants is not there right away, he doesn't have much of a recourse for action. Even when the pocket's clean, if he has to shift off his feet a little bit and he's not set for his throw, it's not getting there accurately. And at times, he's just not seeing things. There were open breaking routes over the middle. I counted three of them with Sterling Shepard that the ball was just not delivered in that direction. On the on the on the, when the Giants scored that touchdown after the missed assignments in on the fourth and goal uh, past the Beckham, which was a great throw by Eliman and great anticipation. It was actually similar to the play opportunity they had against the Jacksonville Jaguars all the way back in Week One. Right, if you remember that play, that would have flipped that game, and Giants probably would have won. Where it, it was very very similar play with Odo Beckham breaking free in the end zone. Um, but before that play, to get down there, and it did work out in their favor because Odell Beckham Jr. drew a pass interference call in the end zone. But on that same play where Eli just chucked it up to Odell, it was just another one of those plays where it seems like he locked on to me, uh, it seems to me at least, where he locked on Odell because it was Shepard was wide open. He had burned the linebacker in coverage over the middle. He would have caught the ball at the seven and basically walked into the end zone if Eli saw it. And from the vantage point on the All-22, it really looks like Shepard is just right in front of Eli's face just before he throws the pass to Beckham. And I saw a lot of that with just Eli just not seeing things uh, that well and just really and as more so in the first half. But again, like you said, it can kind of help us transition into the good. And that was the second half when the Giants came out with a completely different offensive game plan. And you want to talk about things that you like to see from a head coach, right? And from a play caller. How about adjusting? Second half adjustments. That's exactly what Pat Shermer did. And he put, took the ball a little bit out of Eli's hands, like you said, put it in Barkley's hands, and a little bit out of forcing it to Odell Beckham, and really let Barkley get going. And that helped him get into a play calling groove. The first drive of the second half, they go run Barkley, run Barkley, run Barkley, two first downs, and then bang, they run a fake pitch to Barkley after running the pitch successfully on that drive. And by the way, Nick, this pitch play has been working really well for the Giants, has it not? In recent weeks, oh yeah, the, uh, the, the in the for, in a few different forms, a few different blocking schemes. Exactly, they're starting to really get some success there. And there was one, obviously, where you showed. Um, there, I don't know if this actually pitch, this was not the pitch play, but they're getting they're getting some more success also with Will Hernandez uh, pulling, and we'll get to that. But there was one pitch play that stood out where Hernandez actually pulled around the left side and made a really good block, I thought, to spring a run. But anyway, three straight runs of Barkley, and then they run the fake p- the pitch reversed uh, from Barkley going to the left, reverse the Beckham, and it's just a great play. I just That, to me, just stood out from Shermer there, something I really liked. Three pl- straight plays to Barkley, get the defense focused on him, and then completely go the up- opposite route. And obviously it led to an incredible play by <laughs> Odo Beckham. To That whole touchdown was just unbelievable by Beckham to me, all around, seeing just everything he did there. But – that wasn't the only time he got into a groove. There were other drives in the second half uh, where he got into a groove, I thought. Um, you know, there was the one right before uh, the Giants punted after the Khalil Mack sack on third and eight with time running down, where, again, he got in a play-calling groove, hit a couple really good play-action passes that were really good designs by him. And, you know, when you look at some of the drives that failed, Nick, a lot of them, like I said, I, I harped a lot on Eli, but a lot of these, again, there were at least, I think I counted three. It was either three or four drives where the Giants got one, again, that first and 10 penalty where they went into first and 20 or first and 17 on one of the drives and first and 20 on another. And that's still something they got to clean up. That's obvious. I mean, that's, you know, that's, there's nothing more to say about that. But overall, I think that I really like the adjustments the Giants made. Is that fair to say on the offensive side of the ball? 
Yeah, I think I think the the other thing just maybe just to add to that too is um, you know you mentioned basically the trick play the reverse. Um, that's a big in the early part of games. It's a big Andy Reid tree of thing you know things to do to get some juice going in your offense. And I think when that when that big play happens for this team, they all relax a little bit. Right. And I think they don't when Manning is kind of pressing himself because we all know the guy's a competitor. We all know the guy doesn't want two guys talking, saying that he can't throw the ball in the first half very effectively, right? And I think that builds within the unit because they do look up to him. And when he when they're able to get a big play on the board, and they did that last week, early last week against the Eagles on that big, uh, great throw they had on the, on the over route to Beckham, yeah. I, I just think that you may see these tricky, gimmicky-type plays in the, in the first group, in the first series, um, maybe just as a wrinkle, just because that'll get the offense kind of going a little more, get the swagger going, get the confidence going, get the juice going. And then that kind of, I think that's the other part of what makes, you know, Odell run better routes. I'm not saying he needs to, but just, you know, more consistent routes. I think that'll, that'll kind of click down and kind of trickle down throughout that whole offense. And, and you, you, you totally may see it. And, and it's all to your points that then, you know, for this position group, I think it's kind of straightforward to call plays. Like he's got to get these guys in space. And that's kind of what happened in a very, very against a very, very tough, tough defense. Yeah, no doubt. And again, we're not, we're not trying to kill Eli Manning here. There's obviously some factors that need to be taken in play. Like Nick broke down a little bit earlier. Vic Fangio, the Bears defensive coordinator, had a really great game. I mean, Nick broke this down a little bit better. I mean, you could dive into this, but he made it very difficult with the looks he showed uh, for a quarterback. And then just personnel-wise, the Bears have one of the best defensive fronts in the NFL. Khalil Mack, obviously, but Akeem Hicks as an interior defensive lineman. Nick, you are – we're super impressed watching him. Am I right? Yeah, I'd have to say top – I mean – if you have the upper tier DTs and you're talking about guys like, like Fletcher Cox, like not a notch and barely a notch below, I think you have to throw Hicks, especially with his range. It was crazy. He's crazy athletic. And then outside of the front too, I mean, if we just keep on going, they're, right. they're safety tandem. That was, that was Jackson and, um, and Amos. Like, yeah. Legit. yeah. Like the like coverage and, and sure tackling. And then I thought Amu Kamara, who I watched a lot last year, I thought he had one of his best games in a while. And I've I only watched three games of the Bears so far. Yeah, but, the X Giant. Yeah, and just just picky. real real physical, and yeah, yep. they had they had a lot of they're they're a very good team, and I think this is a this is a win that you want to have to kind of just talk about your win resume at the end of the year when you you know you kind of have an unsuccessful season basically, yeah. um, and and that's that's important. I think that's really important, like you said. Yeah, this was a great win for the Giants, and, and again, there's not. There are some positives, obviously, from Eli. It's not, you know, you t we talked about this just before the podcast. He's still Eli. He's still a gamer in the fourth quarter. He made some really big throws in the fourth quarter in overtime. I mean, the Shepard throw, that should, ball should never be but dropped by Shepard. I mean, he even said so after the game. But that was you, – you, you broke that down on Twitter, Nick. Give us a little little recap of that play and why you were so impressed with Eli on yeah, just because, uh, you know, he's running a Haas concept to the right, which is basically a hitch um, with a seam go. And, you know, he's basically the Bears have been, like I said, they've been screwing up with him all game. And they, they've been getting some man looks. And when they got man looks, they couldn't answer. Uh, man, if, if I think the way the Giants are going to beat this team was, was, was to get them in man and, and then win in kind of basically in isolation. And that's kind of what happened here. It's the coverage is cover one robber, but that deep safety – is looking to Odell's side, but he, you know, Manning has to do the job of basically, and he does a mini pump fake as he runs, as he moves to the left in the pocket and just delivers a ball 25 yards downfield at least. I think it was actually a little longer than that. Um, just it was perfect placement to the inside. He actually, I think, 
if, if you had Shepard, I think he'd want to be a little bit more to the inside in terms of the way he was basically ending his uh, or finishing his stem. Um, and yeah, just a great, great ball and something that you know it was, was eye opening. It was like, where the hell did this come from? Why couldn't they do this all game to be you know, to be wise ass? But uh, just a real good throw where it was something that you know again I think they're going to want when they can. They have to take those shots vertically and 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 again and hit them like strategically. I think it's not just all quick game, although Manning runs. I think I like Manning's quick game better than most, uh, but most people would say, I would say, um, just in, in where they've been going the last three to four weeks. But I think those deep shots are just as important. Yeah, and, and that's really what he's been – you're right on that too. I mean, the, the quick game has been – he's really good at that quick – that quick hitting slam, especially off the RPO that he's – you know, we saw him hit it a few times this game. But in the end, you know, as those big-time throws do show up, Nick, but I'm just – you know, there's just too much inconsistency for me at this point um, throughout some of these games. So, you know, we'll, we'll get we'll touch more on that later. But let's talk a little bit more of, of the positives we saw. And let's dive into Will Hernandez, who, you know, you, you know, I basically was focusing on during my rewatch of the All-22 just because of your piece today on Will Hernandez, which everyone can find over at CoverOne.net. I mean, Nick's done at least, I think it's, I think I saw today, it's like 2830 awesome articles on the Giants at cover one. I would catch up on those if you haven't read them already. And there's a obviously a more f- complete breakdown of Hernandez there with look a look at all of his games. But when I focused him on this game, he was awesome. There were times where I watched him in pass protection and he was just – and the, and his, the guy, his man was just nowhere near the quarterback. And then in the run game, I saw him make a really excellent pull block, uh, uh, twice, one, both sides of the ball. I mean, what did you see from Hernandez in this game specifically? And then overall, give us kind of a little preview of what, what the listeners can find if they check out your piece on cover one. Yeah, right on. Um, he, I thought he had a, I thought he had a good game in pass pro. Like you said, he was able to anchor against some tough guys, some tough opponents on the, on the inside. We mentioned um, Goldman, their nose tackle is really nasty. You get some guys that, that just have some real strength and then can can convert that strength to basically to almost speed with like swim moves and hand moves, which is kind of epic. Um, so anyway, I, I thought I thought that was strong. I think this game was actually one of his weaker games assignment-wise. He missed a couple things in terms of uh, on the running side. When they the Giants ran, run, ran wham, tried saying that five times fast. Uh, they ran the wham concept, the trap concept. Um, couple times where he was kind of he looked unsure and, and then was basically blocking the wrong person uh so just in terms of assignments you're still seeing him i think kind of grow as a rookie but outside of that i think what i really focused on too with my piece was his technique is is really good and and something to to from you know from just his stance he looks really natural and his he's got natural bend in his lower body to kind of boil it down for fans for his for his for his for his um, projection going forward i really think it it it's going to have focus on his ability to play long and get his arms extended. Now he has shorter arms. So people would say, Hey, like he doesn't want to do that because his arms are only 32 inches long, which weirdly is in the bottom quarter, the bottom 20, the bottom quarter percentile for guards in the NFL. And just, um, but overall though, when he does that, it allows his whole other game to come around because he has quick feet, but he's not like basically, He's not unbelievably short-footed. He doesn't reset his feet as good as other guys. But when he gets that, when he's able to drop that center with with, with arms extended, it's very hard to get any type of bull rush on him. Uh, so within this game, um, again, you saw that multiple times and just something where the left side of the line, where I'd overlooked him because he 
was a little bit of a gray man. He wasn't flashing as much in terms of burying guys like he right. did in college, like with that real anger and like that. And it's harder the NFL because obviously the guys aren't the talent levels, you know, much much higher. And so once I kind of reset through that through that lens, I saw like, hey, he's really physical and he likes to look for contact. And it's just it's just a yeah. harder league, and and you're definitely seeing him progress. And look, I, I didn't really say this specifically in the piece, but I think he could be an All Pro, um, and that's. People want to compare him to the the first rounders that went. I don't know if that compare is there yet, but it's one of those things where it's like, you know, he has he has it, and I like Solder as a line mate to help him with to help him develop with his weaknesses, as well as guys like Jamon Brown, who have very deliberate hands and do things very differently. That type of contrast is huge right. in the room, and versus before where he had you know journeyman guards in there. And I think that's tough, right? Like you're just trying to get to know everyone, and now I think you have a guy that they should that they should have this they, they should lock up for a bit. Agreed 100% that, you know, and, all, you know, there's times to me, Brown had was a was a mixed bag in this game from what my focus was, but was definitely more good than bad. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And that to me is that, you know, the continuity is so important. You saw at the beginning of this season, the four man pass rushes confusing this Giants offensive line in this game they didn't they, they didn't have those breakdowns. There was one stunt that got there. But I mean, that that was one breakdown with Wheeler and Brown on that side. And that was it. In a game against a much better front than they had played all season, really. So, and, and that play, just to interject, sorry, that play was evil because it kind of wasn't a stunt. It was in that gray area where yeah, yeah. The, the tackle didn't drive, the defensive tackle didn't drive into Wheeler. He drove in between, and if Brown passes right. him off, he could kill Eli. So it's like that was just a really good play by them. I think you got to kind of chalk that up to the, to the off, to the, sorry, to the defense there. Yeah. And so then, you know, you give them that and then it's, you know, there's not the same kind of communication breakdowns that really just killed the offense for the first half of the season, just killed them. So, you know, you can't keep entering every season with new guys there. I think they have three guys they should definitely enter 2018 with. And that's Hernandez and Solder who are already under contract. And then Brown, who they're going to have to find a way to resign decently, you know, decently cheap. But I think he could probably sign for something similar to what they paid Patrick Omame last season. Um, last off season. And I think that's probably about what his market value will be at this point. Um, unless they wait on him and take a chance, but I don't think it's worth doing honestly. Um, so anyway, as we move on to another positive, I thought from this game and you touched on a little bit earlier, but tell me about what you like personally from, you know, the way Saquon Barkley ran, especially in that second half. Yeah. I mean, a lot of will, a lot of, a lot of um, tough, gritty yards going North, a lot of runs that you look at and you go, Oh, that's nothing. That's one to two. And you look on the score sheet and that's four. And against this game, against this type of team, that's like really important. And um, that type of stuff, that type of grit, you know, the only downside, as I would just say that, that I saw from him, and this will touch on a question later is, you know, he, he missed a couple assignments or kind of ran a couple of routes that were a little off on the, uh, on the option route side of things. But besides that, I thought it was Barkley's, I mean, I don't know if, if you want to say if you got to say top three game just again because of the opponent. But I think the back the, the second half to have to be that type of player that, uh, you know, can really ignite a team and then do it in different ways where they were able to get they were able to run on the perimeter against um, against their base defense, which right. is not fucking easy to do. Uh, so when you're doing that against an, an, an odd front, I mean, that was that was really impressive by, by everyone involved for that matter. Um, so, yeah, no, really good stuff there. Yeah, I agree 100% there. I was really impressed with him as well in this game. And let's move on a little bit to the defensive side of the ball, Nick. Um, focus on some good and bad. I know there's a lot of hate that I received. Not hate, but there's a lot of fire a pushback when I you know, tweeted about 
that I was impressed with the Giants' defense in this game. And yes, they did give up a lot of points at the end of this game. But again, everybody has to keep in mind, one, they're going against a really good play caller, but two, in this game, but two, this defense needs a lot more pieces. I mean, like, in this game, Tay Davis went down with an injury. B.J. Goodson was already out. So, Allegui played, is that even how you pronounce his name? (laughs) He's a good player. I think he played well, but I I don't know. (laughs) I was getting into that. I think he played really well, at least when he was moving forward, Nick. I liked yeah. him right there, but he did get washed up a couple of times in some of the big runs in the second half. But he played okay. He's not like it. But, I mean, come on. Like, he looks really undersized out there. He's not, I don't yeah. know if he's a solution for this team moving forward. You know, they have a lot of guys like that out there. Landon Collins went down for a few snaps. They're getting snaps with, with Chandler, Riley, Olegue on the field at one time. So, it's like – and and obviously B.W. Webb and Grant Haley, who are, you know, maybe players for this team for their future. They're both pretty – they played pretty solid. The coverage has been there. But, you know, that could also be a factor of Betcher. But, anyway, the point is, like, I, I'm not going to beat him up when, when this defense gives up some points. But I really did like some of the things I saw – from Betcher in this game and, and basically all the games. And one player I thought really stepped up when he certainly needed to was Olivier Vernon in this game. And I wanted to get your take on that because I thought he had an excellent game as a pass rusher, though I did see the Bears, especially in the first half, pick up a lot of big gains running the ball when they ran at him. So kind of break down why that may have been the case in the run game and then what you saw from him as a pass rusher. Yeah, I think there was um, – yes, and specifically start with the run game. Those – when he – What's a little hard is when he's on the outside, it's he and on some of those runs, he doesn't always have directly have contain. And if he was spilling on some of those plays, the linebacker behind him was what basically had contain. But you can almost think of it as a gap exchange. So it wasn't it wasn't all just him, but basically their backside in general was not staying um, was not staying at home. And when you saw guys like 280 pound Kareem Martin, I actually broke this down live in game on uh, on Twitter. When you see him stay on contain, and actually hold uh, Cohen to a four yard game, and Cohen tried to get to the backside, it really should have been a huge play, but it wasn't because of guys like Martin. Those details really did matter. And yeah, so that was kind of that was the weaker side. I think I think that the the thing with OV continues to be the consistency in his pass rush, and that uh, that that's right. what that's what hurts every pass rusher. It's very hard to get it consistently. But for him, when he goes away. He kind of the, the impact goes to zero, and the rest of the the rest of the line generally isn't good enough to to kind of fill in those gaps. And I think that, you know, I think Martin played some really good plays, um, but overall they need that they need that big that big monster guy because I don't think that from a pass protection standpoint anyone's really freaked out about about OV and they're not worried about sliding to his side at all. They're not worried about dedicating anyone to him. And it's not that that frees up looks for other people. People think that's kind of how it is. But if you think if you're rushing five and the Giants are rushing four, a lot of times, you know, it's basically you're going to you're going to get two guys having a one on one matchup at least. Um, it's just it, he needs to he, I don't think he's healthy and the Giants really need this position to be big. Um, and it's a big deal because when you're looking at when people come and they complain about the defense and they say the protections are, or sorry, the coverages are breaking down, you got to look on those wheel routes. Like quarterbacks got a lot of time there, you know, at key moments in the game, you got to, you got, if you don't get to him, you have to move him off the spot and you can't let a guy like Chase Daniel, like take his slow windup and throw his 25 yard wheel route down the, down the sidelines. It was just, it, that was tough to watch. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, speaking of, of transitioning a little to a more positive, at least long-term outlook wise, because, you know, we both kind of agree, Nick, that OV, especially at his cap hit, is not a great is not a great future, you know, 
bargain for them. Somebody who I think has been really miscast on Giants Twitter, I'm transitioning here, is Kareem Martin. Some people say this was a bad signing by Dave Gettleman. I believe it was at $5 million per year, which is really nothing in a $170 million salary cap league. It's just nothing. And I just think it's a horrible take by Giants, by whoever is saying it. I just think it's a bad take, man. And I see it every week on the All-22. And I know, you know, I'll hear what you say, but I know in the past you've agreed with me. I loved Martin, especially in the first half. I didn't see it as much in the second half. But in the first half, he just blew up run plays. Like, just straight up blew up Bears run plays. Just him just shooting through the gap, blowing it up. So what did you see from Martin? Is that a fair take by me, or do you think I'm being a little too uh, bullish here? Not too bullish. I may sound like perma bullish on some of these guys, but no, I think that they, he was used really interesting in this game as almost like a joker off the line of scrimmage a few times. Yep. But that's are really mixed in the personnel packages, a lot of seven defensive backs at times, but also with his fronts. He varied his fronts this game more than any game this year. And that was like a pain in the ass to break down, but at the same time, it was really fucking cool. And a big part of that is Kareem Martin and his athleticism and his kind of nose for the ball because when you start – throwing the fronts all around, it sucks when you play a running team like this because they can totally gash you. And you kind of rely on a big guy like Martin, who's 280 pounds, he can still cover, still, still defend his gap from maybe an angle that's not usual and and can still make plays. And so he, he absolutely did that. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where, where people want to see the box score stats. They want to see... They want to see the disruption. They want to see all these things. I think it's hard because it's he's not that type of player. But the one aspect that I have, and it's hard because people didn't study the Cardinals, but if you saw where he came from, there's just a massive amount of development. So when you see yeah. that change, you see that improvement, it's like let that you know that chart that's going from the lower left part of the screen to the upper right part of the screen, let that keep on going and kind of encourage that development because it is it's he's not a finished product by any stretch, right? And you said it, $5 million a year for a defensive end, that's like nothing. And so that I, I, I think that he can get there more. I think that part of him will have to figure out how to get quicker if he wants to lose a little bit more weight or basically if he's okay where he's at now, I think, I think he's kind of at a good balance, but last year he was basically like a, he was like a five tech only in their base and then played, you know, uh, from a lot of four point stance from a five and six technique on the, on the edge, but he wasn't like, he wasn't nearly as dynamic as he is now. Uh, so like the improvement, and, 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 we'll, and we'll continue to watch going forward. Yeah, and I'm not coming on here and saying he's an all-pro, but what I'm saying is I'm very, I'm getting very confident that he's going to be a really, really good piece to have and a good value. 26 years old, like Nick said, mostly played that five-tech in Batcher's defense until last season. They said the light came on. Now he's playing all kinds of different roles, developing into a certainly into a different player than he was at the beginning of his career, came into the NFL raw anyway. Uh, the Giants have him signed through his 20, age 29, age 28 season. This is something that I think, you know, anyone who who says otherwise, you know, bad signing by Dave Gettleman is just way off on it. So we'll move on on that note. Um, so I want to dive into another player who's probably going to end up winning Defensive Player of the Week. And he's a much maligned Dave Gettleman uh, offseason move, and that's Alec Ogletree. Um, I will admit, there, and this is pretty much true of all of the games of Ogletree, there is some good and bad. Um, so, like, obviously, he – the 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 play he made on the on the interception his second one his first one was awesome but his second one was so the second one was a ten point swing or sorry a seven point swing for the Giants if you watch the play on all twenty two it's a legitimate touchdown if he doesn't make the one handed Odell Beckham like interception well, Landon Collins gets completely burned on the route and there's a guy running there's a Bears intended receiver running completely for the end zone he makes the interception he makes a lot of these 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 plays. 
Um, both in the run game and the pass game too, mostly, uh, or I'm sorry, in the pass game and the run game. He makes a lot of these really splash plays, and he, he ha- has a lot of these plays that I talked about earlier in the year that kind of save drives him going haywire. And there's also some bad, obviously. You know, you see a lot of plays where he he's out of position in the run game. Um, at least that's something I saw, Nick. And do, is that something you see, see as well? That's amazing all season, really. His uh, – I've thought and written and shelved so many pieces defending him um, or how to defend him and how to get into this because it's someone you want to pull for. Um, I would just say just real quick, technically, his big issue in tackling is that he comes in too high and he's not consistent enough and he's not strong enough having the safety background to basically come in as high as he does as often as he does. So when people break tackles on him, it's 110% because of his pad level. It has been that way for years. I don't know when that changes because of all the reasons that you just said. Yeah. The, the other side of it is on the coverage side, he's, 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 it's, it's very specific against vertical routes. Vertical routes are deadly to him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any type of, he's weird. He almost doesn't look like a safety at times in coverage, but, but, and anything that's going downhill or breaking laterally, I think he's very, not very good. They call it solid to good. And he functions more and has the ability to make splash plays like you just described. So it gets into how do you like harness the good and block the bad. And I think Betcher's done a good job of doing that this year where he kind of only gets exposed in certain games. And it seems like there's always one player on the Giants defense that gets exposed, right? Like it's always one, one yeah. a week. And that's just kind of, to be fair, that's kind of the nature of the beast in the NFL because these guys understand how to attack the weaknesses I just described. I'm right. just a dude. I'm just a dude with Wi-Fi. I could figure that out in like five hours of tape study. These guys spend like ten billion times more times, more hours than that. So they know how to attack these people. And guess what? They get paid too. And so I think the part is that's his play. If you want to talk about how much money he should get paid, that's a different conversation. And you know his contract is you know maybe a bit of an albatross. But the, I like his I like his play. I think he's important for the team this year. Going forward, that may be a much tougher conversation. But the impact is positive. The impact overall, I believe, is positive. It's not something to kind of constantly be the uh, you know the, the, to get ragged on, basically. Yeah, no doubt. And that's kind of where I, where I'm at with him. So there's obviously a major concern over the fact that well, some people are mad they gave up a fourth round pick, which was whatever. But there's major concern over the fact that he's paid very highly at his position. Right. Um, but what I'm saying is this, you look at this Giants team at the inside linebacker position and just go back as far as you want to 2005, since Antonio Pierce was on this roster. Um, those were different days too, in a four, three, I mean, he wasn't a speedy linebacker. I'm sure if he was isolated in vertical routes, he would be getting destroyed too. And wheel routes, he'd be getting destroyed too, for some of these newer players in the NFL and the way that offenses are really running. The same goes for John Beeson, who had a nice little, like, eight-game run before injuries of the Giants. But aside from that, they've really struggled to locate and find capable players at the inside linebacker position. And this is true of a lot of NFL teams. Inside linebacker is not, is not a position that's lush with talent across the NFL. And behind him right now, they have B.J. Goodson, a Jerry Reese holdover. Tay Davis, who's shown some good things, but you know may not, may not be somebody you want playing as many snaps as, let's say, an Ogletree plays. Uh, Alegway, who we talked about, and... And obviously Armstrong was there earlier in the season, but it's not that easy to find this kind of player at the second level in the middle. And I think that, you know, again, in a $170 million salary cap league where some of the teams aren't even using up their cap every year, the Jets and Bengals are what are they, forty and seventy million dollars on the cap. It's fine to have a ten million dollar player here instead of a one point five million dollar player or somebody like a or, or you know, resorting to having Goodson and Tay Davis 
as your two inside linebackers. And that's just kind of where I see it um, there. And I know there are some flaws in his game. We both agree with that. But in the end, that it's just harder than people think, I think, to find these guys in, on the inside at linebacker. And more importantly, the cap is not just like the, the cap is the cap is not like oh my god ten out of ten out of one hundred seventy million is allocated or whatever it is thirteen fourteen however much it is I think it's between ten and fourteen I got to look up the exact numbers to Ogletree and he's not amazing it's a horrible move to me I just don't look at it like that so that's kind of where I'm at on that Nick I don't know if you see it any differently but I think at the other side of it too just you know for what Betcher wants to do with the quasi money backer type position at the second tier look it's it's not it's not overbearingly there's a lot of talent in the in the college for the for for the draft i'm saying but um but basically it's going to take time to develop that so they bought more of the basically the sustainable finished product with with leadership capability so that's what you have now going forward i think it's going to be a question whether they want to go after someone like a Dion Buchanan in free agency or try to find the next guy or the next group of guys to do that and that's part of how they're going to grow the team and he's probably still going to be involved in some level there but the point is, like, it's not it's not like you can just, like you said, it's not like you can just go interchange these guys and go go find the next safety linebacker hybrid. It's like, yeah, they, they do exist, but not exactly to come in and be able to to help with the play calls. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works, Ed, especially with the Betcher's defense, which, you know, again, the, the number of coverages, I should start counting these. I mean, it, ha- it was insane, this game. And it's just so that's not easy to do, and it's not a four three, right. and it, it's just, it, there's there's a lot going on here, and um, so it, I I I get that part of it for for year one especially. Yeah, no doubt. And just to transition a little bit to some other things we'd like to see, and I know you, I kind of talked to you about it before this, and then you kind of wrote in your notes some things that interested me. Seven defensive backs at times by by, uh, by James Betcher, some two defensive line fronts, more radar fronts, Chandler around the line of scrimmage, deep in coverage, more Collins money backer. So tell me a little bit about what you saw from James Betcher's defense and all these things that really intrigued you. Yeah, they um they like I said, the personnel packages were different. What all what they also were doing on a lot of downs to really any personnel package that the um you know that the Bears uh, came with. Um, they were running two three techs on on the defensive tackle position. So if you can envision two three techs uh, three tech defensive tackles outside the shoulder of the guards, and when you do that, that may seem a little like not that different from for things, but it leaves a big hole in the middle. What they were doing was they were alternating either Ogletree, mostly Ogletree, or Landon Collins stepping in over the center and jumping the center, basically, either maybe reading his step and going the opposite side of his step or actually going to an assigned gap. And doing that, it's a little risky against a team that likes to run RPOs like the, like the Bears the Bears do, but they didn't. And so they were able to get some kind of effective interior rushes. And it's, I'll be interested. I'm really interested to see if that's going to continue for the rest of this year. Obviously with Collins now hurt, it's pro- that, that may not be for him, but will they insert someone else to basically be that other money backer right around the line of scrimmage um, where that, where this front, I think plays to their strengths. And as well, it just, it adds another kind of like annoying arrow in the quiver where if, if it, I think, it, I think it's the best of Ogletree because he's getting downhill early consistently and on passing downs, that's, that's, that's really what you want. So stuff like that was really cool to see. And again, that, this is stuff that we had not seen earlier in the year. You even saw guys like Josh Morrow playing zero tech and one tech this game. You saw, um, you know, you saw there was a lot more, the varied fronts keeps teams off balance and it does things that, you know, in the end, or it, it can slow down a lot of good teams, and it could take a team like the Redskins that are kind of flailing a little bit on with that at the, from the quarterback position and make it even harder. You know, just just by lining up, basically. Yeah, no doubt. And so, 
again, me and Nick are probably more excited about the future with Betcher than probably anyone right now, Giants fans, and I and I get it. But I'd say give him time and give him, you know, a chance to to uh, to to really write the get get more talent and write the ship here. Um, so anything else we want to touch on here? Um, you know, some things at least that stood out to me. I'll, I'll dive into these, and you can talk a bit about them if you want. BJ Hill, obviously, I thought had a really good game. Did you think that? You know, I mean, one of the sacks was partially because uh, Chase Daniels stepped up because Olivia Vernon got a nice pressure on the edge. But what did you do? You, do you think that kind of Hill's progressing as you would have expected at this point in his rookie season? Yeah, yeah, I think that you know you saw what I thought was cool. You saw his swim move on a couple of, on a couple of occasions, which again, that's like a big deal for a rookie. Uh, you know, we talk a little bit about Lorenzo Carter's hands and watching his, his his hands usage on the edge and trying to get bend. Well, for the interior rusher to be able to kind of get that good bull and then be able to convert a bull into something else with his hands is not easy, especially against offensive tackles or sorry, offensive uh, linemen in the league. And and that was that was absolutely there. And it was it was cool to see. And and just more, you need more, more, more going forward. Yep. Um, all right. So. Another thing I wanted to touch on real quick, Nick, and get your take on it. I know he only played – let me get the exact count here because I wanted to make sure I didn't screw it up. So he played 16 defensive snaps, and he was a pass rusher on 10 of them. On one of the snaps, I love what I saw from R.J. McIntosh, number 90, new Giants defensive lineman to get to, to start focusing on a little bit. He had an awesome pass rush move, I thought, um, midway through the game where he literally almost got a sack. It was actually on the play in the first half where – uh, Daniel threw up the ball to Allen Robinson and he made an unbelievable catch. Um, but anyway, I think that's really what the Giants liked when they when they were scouting him, just that quick inside pass rush move. And so is it is that something that stood out to you too when you when you were looking back at the all twenty two? Did you notice that play? I swear I'm not just bullish on everyone, but yeah, it did. And like his play strength too for a two hundred and eighty yeah. pound guy who hasn't played a lot of snaps. Right. Been out yeah. of football basically for for almost a year leading up to this game. When you think about when last college game he played well, yeah, and then, no, I, I and he had I have multiple notes about nose for you know about him having a nose for the ball and being able to kind of he, he has a he seemingly is a pretty instinctive player. Um, and yeah, no, I, I I again it's super early because this guy's trying to get back on track. I mean, it really is effectively like what like preseason game three for him. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's, he's going to have to go through a whole development to get to this stage where, you know, the weeks ahead that guys like Hill are is a big deal, is a very big deal, especially. And then on, on, on top of it, he was injured. So for sure. But but so far in an early sense, definitely like what I say. Yeah, I mean, this was definitely his best game. Even, I mean, according to Pro Football Focus, they charted him again, 16 total snaps on 10 and six snaps as a run defender. He had two stops, which is what they tally as a play that results in a negative or uh, you know, a negative play. And then, like I said, he had two hurries, a quarterback hit and a quarterback hurry and 10 pass reps in that. So he's someone I'm going to be focusing on more moving forward. Um, and that's kind of all I had for the all 22 review, unless there's anything you wanted to touch on before we jump into a little bit of a Redskins preview. I can't have a podcast without trying to defend Curtis Riley. Right. So oh, get so in there. <laughs> no, no, no. I was actually uh, not to be, not to be, you know, I'm I, we, we don't play favorites, but it's one of those things like you kind of just see what you see. For the last two weeks, he has not played with the physicality that he did in the previous, you know, games. And um, just to not to be like just to bury the guy, but like if he doesn't have that physicality soon, I think that may be kind of where you know they start looking at the upside to downside with the mistakes that he's had and the and and not wrapping in some cases and and the tougher angles against speed. And so that was one thing that stuck out stood out for me. And I haven't really mentioned it because I'm trying to see why. I know he was on the injury report one or two days, 
last week, and I think it's something on his upper body that they may be protecting a little bit. And and Shermer did say that he wasn't that that wasn't the case that they that they're trying to rotate other guys in there. But just it's just funny when you look at Chandler playing, his strength is physicality, and when you and then you go like snap to snap, then you watch Riley, and you just don't see that from what you saw in week five and six. Which you know again when when they develop when they're going through developmental players, they want to see the upside to downside, and when you start losing the upside traits, it's like well wait a second like that's not good. And so, um, and hope it hope it turns around soon. And uh, you know, again, it's not just dropping an interception and that type of thing, which was just a fluky throw. Um, you know, anyway, just it, it was more of just the overall consistent down and down play has not been there. Yep, and that's you know that's obviously a bit of a negative with with the defense and the personnel. Like we said, is going to change a bit moving forward. And I know somebody asked me earlier this week to focus in on Grant Haley. Unfortunately, I didn't have the time to go back and just focus on him. I'll, I'm gonna run the tape back and and take a look at him, but. Is there anything that I'm not sure if you did either, but but just so we, we can at least dive a little bit into that, maybe is there anything that he that stood out about his player? Did you get a chance to look at him at all? Yeah, yeah, he looked comfortable in coverage. Uh, you know, I think what you're seeing is just overall confidence growing. And again, this is why he was probably promoted from the play from the practice squad was they were is they were seeing the same thing too with with probably getting into the weight room, getting more accustomed to just basically playing with with wide receivers against wide receivers that are much stronger than he is. Um, I would say that he made, he made a really nice run stop, um, buckling. I forget what running back it was. I think it was physical. He really is. Yeah, and for, and for he's only one eighty five to one ninety, so it's one of those things where he's got to get bigger. Right. But um, yeah, no, I, I definitely like that uptick there. And someone where again, when they when they went to seven defensive backs, he was clearly in the mix around the line of scrimmage as well. Uh, so again, the, the 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 borders between box and free safety are kind of dropping across the league. They're really dropping in veterans defense, but that's really important, I think, too, especially if Collins is not going to be here for you know for extended time. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, that's a whole nother thing we'll talk about, uh, at another time, most likely I'm sure we'll get a question about that, but let's dive into the Redskins preview here. Um, just looking at it from, from a holistic view. Uh, I think that the Giants offense could struggle in this one. I do think they'd be smart to move the ball through Barkley like they did in the second half of this game against the bears. They really don't need, and then go for the splash plays. Like we talked about more, some of those shots that can be created off of that. Um, I think that's definitely the best way to attack a defense. It's still playing good football. I thought they played an excellent game against the Eagles, especially considering the fact they were on the field for so so often. But on the flip side of the ball, the Giants enter this game, and, and this is partially why the Giants enter this game as three-and-a-half-point favorites, uh, a huge six-point swing in Vegas. Um, and I think that line's only going to go up, honestly, is because Mark Sanchez is now the starting quarterback for the Redskins. And, you know, as we know with Sanchez, it's only a matter of time before he turns the ball over. He had one interception. Should have had at least two others that I saw. The one where he, that he just chucked up into the middle of the field. Uh, it was like dropped by Docs and in like three. <laughs> that ball was it was that decision was really bad. So I think this is going to be a really good game for the Giants defense, and I think they'll probably do enough on offense to win this game. Where do you see it, Nick? And anything specific you're focusing on? Uh, yeah, I think that you know, with um, if if McCoy was the quarterback. You'd see a big. It'd be, this is a much different team, and he's kind of a Gruden guy. And and, he, and there, I'm not saying there's a there's not much drop off between Smith and he, and he, but you know he was really kind of ready to kind of take this to kind of take the charge here. And so now the team's kind of regrouping. And yeah, I think the only thing that still worries me on offense, despite the the, the constant you know bang, you know the, the offensive line being in flux in terms of health, um, in terms of the Redskins, but uh, just their rushing attack is tough. And that's, that's right now is still the giants kind of underbelly initially. 
that they got to kind of you know shore up and continue to shore up, and that's something where specifically um, ADP style is just is just a tough one. And for you know he gets north so quickly or can, and can do that with one cuts and whatnot. It's just that's that that may be something that, that's worrisome. On the other side of the ball, um, yeah, their defense is solid. And they play. Greg Minuski is a good coordinator. He's actually not that dissimilar from Betcher uh, in, the, in, the, in the amount of things that they throw uh, or play, I should say, coverages that they play. Uh, so yeah, I think it's gonna be a good matchup, and it's something that you know the NFC matchups are often get ugly, and you know that's kind of the style of football here. And I think it's gonna be good. Yeah, me too. I'm excited for this one. I think the Giants are gonna play another good game. And you know, in the end, we didn't touch on this at all. Um, maybe there'll be a question about it, but. Long term, it might not be the best thing that they won that game against the Bears, just in the sense that because Loletto was made active for the first time this season, rookie quarterback Kyle Loletta, I do honestly believe that if the Giants had lost that game, he would be starting against the Redskins. But, you know, I don't think they're going to start him until the Giants lose another game, and I do think they'll win this game. So, you know, it is what it is there. But I do think that it's likely that he does get some action this season. I really do believe that. I don't think they would have elevated him to second-string quarterback other and made him active on game day otherwise. But we'll dive into that a little more. Well, I think that we're going to have one question that centers around it. So let's d- jump in right now, Nick, to some questions from the listeners. And we'll start with Benji, who asks, if Landon Collins is out for the rest of the season, and for those who don't know, we didn't really touch too much on news and notes. There were there are some injuries. Saquon Barkley's playing through an injury. Sterling Shepard's playing through an injury. And Landon Collins has actually already been ruled out after returning to the game against the Bears, playing through a shoulder injury. But, you know, from what, I, you know, from what I've seen, the giant insider uh, – account on Twitter, a guy who's in the locker room told me that, you know, there's times he sees Collins after games and he can't even put his shirt on, take his shirt off. He's so in so much pain. So that shoulder's been banged up and he's ruled out for week 14 and the Giants are mulling over the decision to maybe place him on injured reserve and have him undergo season ending shoulder surgery. In that sense, um, Benji asks, if that's the case, do you think that they franchise tag him or pay him? And he didn't ask if they let him walk, but I'll let you answer this one first, Nick. And if we can combo that question, we got a late question too from uh, at Mike Ross fifty six on thoughts on LC in general and this defense. Um, okay. So it kind of ties into that. Love him around the box, but he's getting exposed in man coverage uh, since the forty nine er game. Um, this gets into something that I'm mulling a piece on. Um, the way. How can I say this? In man coverage, I think that against when you saw him in, in, against speed players like like Cohen, and he's losing foot races going down the field, you know that's yeah that's not really his game. Um, a lot of the stuff that you're seeing around the line of scrimmage, um, that's that's a, a lot of those coverages actually probably aren't man; they're probably pattern match. And that was one of the notes that I was making, and and the distinctions there are. They're, they're pretty subtle, but they're actually pretty important for, you know, it's not like he's getting burnt in man. He's playing with outside leverage because he's basically reading the, the, the wide receiver where he goes and giving up the inside part of the field to his inside help. And so I think that's where people think he's like awful in coverage. But in the end, it's, it's kind of just a guy who is giving up a lot of short throws. And then when the throws go deep down the field, he's losing to speed. Um, I, th- I think that they're going to franchise tag him. I think that they absolutely need to franchise tag him. And I'm still on the fence where I see his projection. Um, I, what's really interesting is if you go back to the Alabama defenses that he was a part of, he, there is no more of a James Betcher type um, hybrid than he is. And, you know, for, for Nick Saban, Collins played everything. 
everywhere. He matched up against slot, slot receivers. He played with speed. He he was kind of you know it was against a different it was against a different level of play, but he was that hybrid player. So it's like he's he really can be that guy. I think, and I think he is, especially around the last scrimmage. I think his anything short breaking. I really like him on the coverage. Um, it's the it's the deeper stuff and the stuff in space. Where against speed, yeah, he doesn't have it there. But then it gets into how do you want to use him consistently, and just like anyone else, he's going to have weakness. So, the long short, long story short, I do think that they will franchise tag him. I do think that in the locker room, this is a guy you want to pay, um, and specifically to his toughness. I'm trying to make sure that I don't value that too high in my analysis because the the, the fucker he he plays with his with his heart, and it's really cool to watch. And so and so right, so it's like it's. I don't. I, I don't want to weight that too much and overweight that, but it's like it's really hard because he. he oh, it means it. a lot, especially to get <laughs> what trying to build and Shermer and what they're trying to build in this locker room. A bunch of guys who are going to play hurt even in a three and eight season, which is what they did last week against a first place Bears team that was eight and three. Should have been nine and two if not for that Packers game where they dropped an interception and closed the game. But I mean. That's what they did. They fought hard in a tough game to win that game. That's what they want. Last season, they didn't have that in this locker room. You know, no. Collins was and Collins tried to be that guy. He played through multiple injuries last year. He injured his ankle in early December last year, played through it, and then re- and then injured his forearm, and they finally shut him down in week 16, and he was begging the Giants not to shut him down. Um, that means a lot. And he has – obviously, like you said, Nick, he, he's not a perfect player, but there are – there's so much more positives than negatives when it comes to Collins. And like I said, the cap, $175 million. It'll probably be next year, maybe $180. Give me a break. Just stay, The cap is not a, as big of an issue as fans tend to make it. It really is not, especially if they're going to take Eli off the books, which I think they're going to do. So, and, and then once they go on to that and they're, and they're, and they're not, no longer even paying a quarterback, then you really have so much more flexibility there. So I actually think, Nick, that they might actually re-sign him to a long-term deal, and it might look like an overpay. But I think what's best for both sides is the franchise tag, so Collins can reestablish his value, and so the Giants can, you know, take one more look at a, a look at him in James Betcher's defense with some more pieces added to that defense. So that's kind of where I'm at there. I think too, it's it, it comes down to meetings within the pro department, which is a cop out answer from people on the outside. Meaning that you know, like if they don't think that they can get similar talent in the market or in the draft, like they should be thinking about him because I don't think this guy is anywhere near his ceiling in terms of. I, I know he had a great year at sixteen, but I'm saying overall in coverage, especially for Betcher, like he comes from Alabama playing a lot of pattern match or all pattern match basically. That's what Betcher is doing now. It's like that fit is a big deal. And, you know, I, the other side of it too, within the injury, and not just to give an excuse for some of these plays, but he hurt his left shoulder. That was the play that, that was the side that had to go into the contested ball that he had against Cohen on the big, on the big throw. Right. On the, and so like, again, I know there are no excuses in the NFL, but it's really hard to extend your arms when, if your shoulders screw up, especially that side. And so that's what I saw on that play. He did everything he should, except make the, except play through the catch point. If he does that, people are saying it's a great play. So I I know it's tough. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree that I want to see him in a Giants reuniform longer term. I do understand the Giants' hesitation if they think that part of it is a projection to make him that top-paid safety. And that's just a pro-department thing that they have to kind of figure out. And um, and we'll see. But I do think, like I said, the middle ground is the franchise tag. And I hear him. If I'm if I'm him and I'm, I'm pissed if that's the case because I want because he you know he wants to be here. So we'll see. Um and I so again, sorry to get away from the question, but I do think he's the fit. I do think part of it is a projection now, and and I think it, I think he can get there. 
Yeah, and he had a really awesome play that's not being talked about much in the first half where he broke on a ball and nearly intercepted, I believe, it was the Bears' first drive. So he's, you know, the, he, I'm, I'm with you 100% there, Nick. But let's go on to another question uh, from Benji again. And he asks, with Eli playing better as of late, and I guess uh, I guess for Benji's sake, he probably didn't hear the beginning of this podcast. Obviously, it's not possible, but uh, clearly he didn't hear my dick here or yours. But will this extend his career, seeing as how they continue to fall in the draft order? And it might be harder for them to get a quarterback in the draft. So I'll tackle this first, Nick, and then you can dive in. Um, I don't necessarily think he's playing better as late. He's playing better. He's, it's hard to say. He's, he's played a little better the, before this game, I thought, um, for sure. He's, de- he's definitely played better as of late as the offensive line has started to play a lot better. But there's still just so much that he's not doing, in my opinion, uh, for somebody who's taking up so much cap space and I just went into a whole thing about how you know we shouldn't go too crazy about the cap and everything but 23 million is a lot bigger of a chunk than 10 million at a position where you can't find anyone and the and quarterback is a hard position to find players for sure but it's not in my opinion it's not really a hard position to find players who are playing I hate to say this but at the level of Eli Manning right now I know that sucks to say and I know I'll take a lot of heat for that from some of the some of the people in the Giants fan base but I don't think finding a quarterback to play at his level is that costly of an endeavor or that difficult endeavor. So to me, I don't see, you know, there's been, you know, there was a report from Ralph Aguilar we talked about in the last podcast. Giants are considering bringing him back for 2019. I don't see it. Uh, where do you stand, Nick? Yeah, my stance is unchanged. You know, you, you just from a pure football perspective, you just forget the money for one second. He, he, it's Jekyll and Hyde. So his upside is great throws, but you're also bringing in, very randomized mistakes and misthrows and scattershotness that you can't have in an offense that is based on timing and rhythm. And I don't think that his fundamentals right. where I thought were, were, are, are good enough to where they would carry him to where the other quarterbacks later in their career go. Um, and he's a guy who relies on his, quite frankly, his athleticism to make plays. And that's great. And he has an unbelievable, he had an unbelievable career. But just going forward, I think that's not, I don't, I don't think that's the best thing for them in 19. Do I think they'll do that though? I, I honestly, I think um, I will. Maybe I'm, in the, I'm probably in the minority, but I do think that there's a there's a higher chance that you see a guy like a Bridgewater and a draft pick um, than than Manning in a uniform. Yeah, I agree with that. Or even just a Bridgewater and a Kyle Oletta. Right. Um, all right. Giants Passion asks: With the O line playing better, what's the take on Wheeler? Better? Same? Is there a Jamon Brown effect? Um, what do you you know? We tackled a lot of this, but. We kind of tackled this more so before we started recording. So you can dive into this one, Nick. Uh, I think for Wheeler's case, you know, he's a he's a he's an aggressive player. He's got a really good get off at the snap. He gets into position very well, whether it's a vertical set or it's a it's a it's a shorter set, a jump set. Uh, outside of that, it's you know, it's a it's a wild card, um, and it's been really tough. And you know, he's I think he's had games where he's played very well. Um, I don't think though that he's really, you know, what has the change been there? No, I think it's kind of right where it was. And I think that the projection for him going forward is back up at, at uh, you know, kind of from a best case perspective. Um, and they're, they're going to need a tackle. But like I said, they're going to probably need to sign a tackle and draft a tackle. Um, I, I yeah. believe that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hundred percent with Nick here. Uh, I thought Wheeler had a really, really rough game against the bears. I know some people actually were talking on, Twitter, like he had a good game, but I think they're kind of confusing a good game overall from the Giants on the line with a good game from him individually. 
Um, you know, I thought he did not play well. I do not think he's an NFL tackle. I think they have a clear cut plan, at least for me in the offseason, and that's signed Daryl Williams. I don't really think the Panthers are going to re-sign him based on how much money they have tied up at other spots on the offensive line. And I really think he just makes a ton of sense given his connection to Gettleman and their dire need for an upgrade at the right tackle position. Then, like Nick said, me and Nick are in the same boat. If you just got to keep drafting offensive linemen, that's just how you rebuild this roster. And I think Gettleman gets that. I really do. I think he totally understands that. Um, and, you know, it's it's interesting. Because I think Gettleman said during the draft process when they asked him if he would consider Quentin Nelson with the number two pick, uh, the offensive guard right now for the Colts might even be an all pro. He's playing so good. Certainly going to be an all rookie and awesome, awesome player. Uh, uh, clearly, I mean, I think you'd agree with this, Nick, a, a, a clear step above Hernandez. Not to say we don't love what Hernandez's potential could be. I mean, you talked yourself about earlier about how, how high of potential you think. But, you know, Nelson, awesome player, right? Yeah, I think you have to say, like, you know, him and McGlitchy may be just farther yeah. down. They're more, they're more refined. And, um, right. yeah, at the, especially right now. So, anyway, Gettleman during the draft process basically said, we view the offensive guard position now in the NFL differently than maybe – consensus is or what other people think because of the importance of providing that inside protection for a player for a quarterback to and that's exactly what the Colts did for Andrew Luck and there and I saw a video break of them breaking it down today on NFL Network um I believe it was uh Mike Garofolo who talked about the old he was used to be an assistant coach for the offensive line coach for the Giants during their 2017 um when they did have Eli Manning and now he's the co- offensive line coach Guglielmo for the Colts and he basically talked about getting their tackles in these vertical sets which allows Luck to step up, and he's got such good protection on the inside that it's working. So, you know, they understand that. They've got them. They understand the importance of the offensive line, this new regime. So I do believe that they'll keep upgrading there. But to answer your question, I, me, neither me or Nick really believes that Wheeler is, is going to be a long-term option there. So Adam asks, hey, guys, with the expectation of an upgraded offensive line next season and the possibility of a better mobile quarterback, how much more dynamic can this offense really be with the same weapons that they have now? Um, you know, I, I think- guess I'll just to clear that up real quick for you, Nick, and I want you to dive in first. Basically, what Adam is saying, project a team that has a better and more mobile quarterback, a little bit of an upgrade on the offensive line. Maybe that may be Darrell Williams, a rookie who steps in, somebody else in free agency, and then the exact same playmakers they have on the roster right now. So assuming, I guess, that would not include Cody Latimer because he will be a free agent in this offseason. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, I think that um, it's interesting not to, not to deflect the question, but um, I would say that from a mobility standpoint, that's kind of like an, an unknown, a, a wild card. I wrote a little bit about what zone read could do for the running game. I still believe that. I think that the Giants have done other things to help the running game, which has helped Saquon Barkley, um, not just him running better, but I think uh, a couple other aspects. But um, so I think that that mobility will open up more lanes for him in the backside. And that's that's a good part. I do think, though, that this isn't as much of a um, a mobility thing as a can the quarterback deliver on schedule within the structure of the offense on a consistent basis. This is not, I'm not trying to pick apart Eli Manning there, but here, but this would lead to more to ball distribution. It would just lead to more consistent drives and you wouldn't have the three and out bust that you see in the, in the beginning of the third quarter and quarters in the games that you have. And I think that's the bigger aspect versus just the, the mobility um, or the ability to kind of take off the ability because you don't need mobility for pocket for pocket presence. Right. I think that's the, the, the whole thing is staying on schedule um, and that and that will unlock different parts of the offense for sure. 
Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, I could get into a whole podcast basically on how they're, you know, on Adam's idea of, you know, if it is really viable for them to find a better and more mobile quarterback, I right. don't think it's that easy to do this off season. I really don't, especially with the keyword better. Um, but they can obviously find someone more mobile, but something interesting just to add to that, Nick, because I thought you summed it up well. And this is something we talked about off the podcast before the show. The Giants ran a lot of those naked bootleg design uh, throw pass play action pass plays for Eli in this game. And Leonard Floyd, Floyd, the Bears defensive end, really wasn't fooled by them. And what Nick said is he doesn't really understand why the Giants are running them if if one option of that play is not for the quarterback to, to take off because he has the edge on those plays. So that's something that could be really interesting. If they're going to keep running those type of plays and you got a guy who can have the threat of taking off, they could pick up some free first downs that way. So that's just something to keep an eye on if they do sign somebody like Bridgewater or you know if they draft Haskins um, out of Ohio State and he comes in. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on right now to a question from Client9 who asks, Dan, I'm sure you'll address this, but I'm interested in Kyle Oletta being activated and when he might actually get in the game. It's crazy that the Giants are still not mathematically eliminated. So this, does this mean that Eli keeps playing? Yeah. Um, Sorry. Oh, you go. go. Oh, yeah. Um, For some reason, I'm just looking at the schedule and then Indianapolis defense that plays a little bit more vanilla zone is just soft. It's just soft circled on my calendar. And it's more. Yeah, it's more of a gut feeling. And I just think that, you know, if I think that if you get to that point where there's two games in the season left, um, someone was highlighting it. I'm stealing this from someone. Someone was highlighting today that remember Patrick Mahomes only played one game last year. Right. And they were, and they felt okay with that projection. I am by no means saying that Loletta is Patrick Mahomes. But, and so all, oh no, sorry. Actually, this was coach. Coach said this. um, Okay. In his, in his post game presser. Um, um, Or not post game, his his after day presser. Um, So anyway, uh, I, I think that it could be as little as that. Um, it could be – it's just for me, I, I think that they want to give him – they want to set him up to succeed if he plays in a game. And I think that Tennessee defense, especially if they still need to – if they're still competitive in the sense that they need to – you know, they still have something to play for at that point of the season. It's going to be tougher. Obviously, Indianapolis probably will too, I think. Um, it's just – it's a different it's a different type of, uh, of animal. Yeah, no doubt. Um me, personally, I think that if they lose this game, he could get the start against Tennessee. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but I do believe it will come down to when they're mathematically eliminated. But, you know, Indy is a good spot start for him because you have a situation where you're going to get inside a dome, no chance of bad weather. Um, but in that case, honestly, Nick, I do believe that there's still a good chance they turn back to Eli for that final game against the Cowboys if they do, in fact, already plan to move on from him this offseason just to give him his final last start in a meaningless game anyway. Um, you know, I don't know if they totally believe that one extra start for Loletta is going to make enough of a difference for them uh, to overrule, you know, just that sentimental idea of giving Eli that final last start, that chance to beat the Cowboys, especially if it's a game where the Cowboys need to win to make the playoffs. So we'll keep that in mind as we move forward. Um, Client nine also asks, Dan, I'd like to get your, and this is for both of us. I'd like to get you to think he's just addressing me in Twitter. But um, I'd like to get your take on the possibility of Jack Rabbit, Janoris Jenkins, sticking around next year, avoiding being a cap casualty. So I'll dive in first, Nick, and then you can jump in. I think he'll be on the roster next year. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's not easy to find cornerbacks. One, two, they don't really recruit that much money from releasing him because there's a lot of dead cap. Three, he's really played excellent the past few games. He's awesome against the Bears, really just great against the Bears all game. And he's been playing hurt this year. So it's like – and when he's healthy, and he said he's been more healthy since the bye, he's played better football. So 
I think they'll stick next year. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, in the same in the same boat, I think that um, if the draft class was a little different for cornerbacks, uh, again, we're in the same boat of you can't address all needs at once. And I think the Giants have already done not done their work on the cornerback side with the third with with getting Sam Beal, but I don't think they're going to spend a second rounder on a cornerback. Um, so you know, it's right. So if you're in that if you're in that boat, I think that yeah, that another year with Jenkins is there. And and I I totally agree that again. I think it's not like all these guys have to play for. Well, I guess they do. Everyone's kind of playing for a roster spot, and he has shown that he, he's definitely flashed physically too. Um, in the last two games against the run, like, you know, he's, there's not a lot of, uh, he has not played soft by any stretch. So I think all that's going into the bucket there to kind of make him part of the, of the, of the 19 year. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, one thing that's interesting there is that I do believe that Dave Gettleman will not put an emphasis on cornerbacks moving forward in that position, which I think is smart, especially based on what we've seen in this giant defense and their ability to really help hold up for the most part, especially in deep coverage with guys like, Curtis Riley and Grant Haley and B.W. Webb playing a shit, a ton of snaps. So I, I think that's what they should do, and I think that's what they will do. Um, we'll move on to Freddie's question, and he asks, why don't the Giants use Barkley more on angle routes? So yeah, something that we get a lot of we get a lot you know, get a lot of focus on that because he you know he can he can basically blow up that play and he ran a fin route or a square in basically for five yards that Manning found uh, this past game uh, out of structure uh, it was a scrambling Eli Manning play it was great and uh, and it's nice. and it was just like, it was it was a nice play to be totally serious and and it was the right the right thing to do in the situation um, he could have taken off for some yards but it was cover two man so it was a good throw um, the one thing that I saw. Um, uh, one of the misconnects between he and um, Eli Manning was Manning was sorry was Barkley running a our running back option route and those option routes generally speaking they look like angle routes because one of those options is an angle route the other route is a, a route to the flat some option routes are run where there's a curl option there as a third thing too which I think the Giants run for the most part but anyway without getting into the, the super technical details. Um, Barkley went to the right, Manning threw to the left based upon the read of where the defensive back was. And um, or I was in the under zone defender at that point. And my answer to this is that I think it kind of goes back to what I said a couple of podcasts ago that he's he's still a little raw on routes that break in on the field. And although it seems like it's kind of easy to do, it's actually hard for guys that haven't done it consistently at this level. And there are real consequences with throwing those in breaking routes when they're, when they're misconnected. And in this game with this, with this option route, it was, it was on a third down and he would have had a huge play. Um, And it looks like, it looks like Manning makes a terrible throw. And when you look at it again, you you can clearly see his footsteps and what Manning was reading. And And I think in my opinion, Manning makes the right read. Um, so that type of thing, nonetheless, these, these guys need to get more on the same page. And it's just one of those things where I think as his career grows, you'll see it more and more. It's not something where, you know, it's 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 kind of like the dumb thing that they're not doing. Um, I think there's a reason for the limited limited action there. And I think in the red zone, too, you won't see it as much because it's just it's such a small window uh, there. I think you'll see it uh, on, in their own uh, in their own territory. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because I don't know exactly what this route would be considered, Nick, but there was a play on first, and this is part of, you know, the charting that I had of Eli that really worried me and why I kind of – one of the plays that really pointed me in the direction of him having his worst game. It was first and 17 after the Giants got a first and 10 penalty, and there's just no – there's no pressure at all. Eli has a very clean pocket here, 
And Barkley runs a route where he's lined up actually as a wide receiver, breaks back into the middle after the natural pick, and Eli throws the ball behind him for an incomplete. If he leads him ahead of him, there is a ton of space. He's at least picking up the first down, maybe more. So I do think part of the issue is really that Eli Manning's just never been great at throwing short to running backs. And do you think that's a bit of a fair assessment there, Nick, or would you lean more towards Barkley? Uh, not sure which rep this is off the top of my head, but yeah, no. after they get backed up from a first down penalty and they're in first and 17 and he's lined up as the, as the lone uh, Z on the, on the right side. And he breaks back after a natural pick and it's just kind of running over the middle with a uh, coverage decently, but you know, it's not bad coverage, but if you like throws the ball ahead of him, he, it's a catch and a run after the catch. Hold on one second. I think this is the re- one of the ones where that was Reno. Yeah, this is good radio, guys, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this was uh, – I kind of – I I think I know what you're talking about. Um, the bottom line is, though, yeah, you're, you're looking at I, – I think that that shows up a little bit more for Manning when he's throwing um, touch screen passes where, where his, the shorter uh, the pass – Terrible on this team. Yeah, and so I, I think I think that's kind of more the issue. If this was just a miscue, I would kind of just call this a miscue. Um, because when the, the issue I think with Manning when he shows through, when he throws shorter passes is he doesn't have the best footwork to realize on his athleticism to deliver the ball. Well, that gets tougher when, in some cases, when the, when it's closer to you because it kind of just like magnifies those issues. And if you look at quarterbacks like, not to mention the best one that does it, but Aaron Rodgers, his footwork is crazy on smoke routes and stuff really short. Like he's just he's. He's like a magician with it. Then he's a magician doing it without uh, off-platform too. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I would say that it's it's kind of like a mixture of both. And just again, probably also indicative. Just it, as they get on on the same page over the course of time, all this stuff like it, it sounds simple, but there's only so many so much practice time these guys all have, and then the game time is completely different. So it's a it's definitely a comfortability factor too. Yeah, no doubt. And I guess that will obviously improve over time as well. But anyway, on that note, that's it for the fan questions we have today. Thanks, guys, again for tuning in. And as always, if you did enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and tell your friends about it. But more importantly, download each episode, subscribe, rate us, give us five stars, help us grow this podcast uh, from the ground up. And as always, you can find all my work at Dan Schneier, uh, on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. And you know, download that CBS Sports app. Lock in the Giants is your favorite team. You'll get some updates from me. You can also find all of my work um, on 247sports.com, the Giants page there. So, Nick, where can we find your work? Uh, Over at uh, cover1.net. I'm the Giants X's and O's guy there. Um, Also at uh, insidethepylon.com. I should have something there, too. I haven't mentioned this dumbly on Twitter, but if you don't like following people on Twitter or only go there occasionally, um, if you use hashtag hashtag GiantTidbits, that's where yeah. I put in um, all basically in-game breakdowns when I can to any type of t- Twitter threads that I can. If again, if if people want the kind of simplified version, I kind of miss that not everyone likes Twitter or is on Twitter constantly yeah. like we are, which is probably a really yep. good thing. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, I wish I was you secretly because it's it kind of is annoying and is a time suck. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's where my stuff is, and, uh, and like I said, Twitter handle to Team Manic Twenty One. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in. On that note, go Giants. We'll talk to you guys next week.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.